Praise the Lord. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis here on a beautiful Friday morning in the studio at Crossway Church in Queen City, Texas. I'm Pastor Curtis. Glad to have you gathered around God's Word with us this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. This will be part 3 of this great chapter, and we'll see something I believe the Lord is has given me to lay on the table before us all today so that we can truly receive a great blessing and allow him to make the path he set our feet in a little more brighter for the journey. And uh, before I do that, just let me remind you that everything we do here at Crossway Church ends up on the YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316. It's also on the website, thecrosswaychurch.com. Now, on the website, we only maintain one year's worth of messages. So on the YouTube channel, it's there, it's all there, and it's not going away until YouTube dies or whatever happens. So it's all there on the YouTube channel. It's probably the best place to go and look for it. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you'll get alerted when we go live and you'll have an opportunity if you are able to watch live or it'll be a reminder that you can go back and, and, and listen to something new that's been uploaded there. Again, it's Curtis Hutchinson 316. We also mail every week. Get this now. This is, this is, this is a great move of God. We've done this for a few years now. Every week we mail 10 that's right, 10 expositor study Bibles, the whole Bible, to inmates across the land. And it takes $1,600 a month to do that if there's four Thursdays in a month. If there's five Thursdays in a month, and that's the day we mail everything we mail from here on, then it's $2,000 a month. So let me say to those of you who are sowing into that work, I thank God for you and thank you. And if you're not and you'd like to be, you can do that by simply texting the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. And one of the options there is to give to the Bibles. And so we just praise the Lord for that opportunity. And uh, uh, man, I tell you what, it's just exciting times that we're living in right now learning the truths of God's Word. And I have to say this today. I know a lot of people uh, might despise this, but I believe this is the greatest part, the greatest time in the whole church age to have been alive right now when God is pouring out the Spirit, the Spirit of truth upon all flesh. And, and I'm telling you, he's showing us things in the Word of God as it relates to the living Word of God and what he did, Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God on Calvary's cross. And we are in revival. We are in, I said, we're not looking for it. We're not headed to it. We're not hoping God gives us revival. When you allow God to bring you back to your first love, to the cross, where your boast is literally the sacrifice of Christ. My friend, nobody will have to tell you you're in revival because the rivers of living water will be flowing. Hallelujah. 
I, at, I, we've been in revival for 18 almost years preaching this message, believing this message, God opening up the scriptures to us in the light of who Christ is. He said he's the light, hallelujah. But the Bible says in Revelation 21 and 23, the Lamb is the light. You can't separate them, and you can't separate the written Word of God. That's the light either. They're all tied up in Jesus as the Lamb. And, I, you know, I, that's why when all these folks talk about we're having revival, there's revival coming. Revival is already here, my friend, if you know where to look to find it. It's the place God made you alive the first time you ever met him, and that was at Calvary's tree. Hallelujah. In Christ Jesus. Glory be to God. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. My goodness. First Peter chapter 4. Again, this is part 3 today. And we're going to see something, I believe, that is so beautiful in, uh, today in, in the teaching. And, and let's start in verse 1 and read a few verses. And then I want to share with you what the Lord is, is showing me concerning really this whole, this entire first letter of Peter. And let, let's read, For as much then as Christ has suffered, catch that word now, For as much then as Christ has suffered, for us in the flesh arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may sufficed us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they now think it strange that you no longer run with them to the same excess of right, and now they're speaking evil of you. Now, now, let's stop right there for a minute. And I, and I want to show you what the Lord has shown me today. What I believe to be the overall context of the entire first letter of Peter being suffering. It is suffering. It's not, it might be suffering. Are there other things talked about there? Yes, but, but, it, but it's all in the context of our suffering as we partake of the truth of the gospel, the entire first letter. To prove it, let's go back to chapter 1, and let's see. Now, this may not be the only place, but I just went back as the Lord led me, and I want you to see what he's shown me about this entire letter. Chapter 1, verse 6. Wherein you greatly rejoice... Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That's suffering. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, that's, this, <coughs> sorry, when your faith is being tried, you're suffering. You're suffering. So I wanted to show you that in chapter 1. And now just flip over to chapter 2 and scroll down to verse 
19. For this is thankworthy, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what is it if when you be buffeted for your own faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So there we see again, everything keeps coming back to suffering. So we get over in chapter 3, in verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, and you will if you're on the path of righteousness. You, you're not escaping suffering. You'll escape suffering for righteousness' sake if you're not on the path. If you're on the path of righteousness, being led of the Spirit, you're, you're going to suffer for righteousness' sake. Let me just, I'm not ugly, but if you're not suffering because of your righteous stance in Christ, maybe you ain't standing in Christ. I'm not being ugly, but you, if you're on the path of righteousness, you're going to suffer. Your own flesh is going to suffer, because, number one, because it's being denied. Flesh has to be denied for you to be taking steps on the path of righteousness. Did you think about that? So let's read this again, verse 14 in chapter 3. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Now, let's look at verse 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, your good conduct in Christ. If somebody's falsely accusing you because of your good conduct in Christ, you're suffering. You're suffering. Watch now verse 18. For Christ also has once suffered. Still talking about suffering. This whole chapter, I'm sorry, this whole first letter it really, the overall picture is about learning to suffer for Christ's sake, righteousness' sake, and to press on in spite of it. Because what's causing the suffering is never going away unless you're not holding the faith with a good conscience, unless you're moving away from partaking of the afflictions of the gospel. It's, it, suffering's never leaving. Never leaving. And I'd rather suffer for righteousness' sake than suffer for the rejection of righteousness. Amen. Remember Romans chapter 6 verse 16 gives the Christians an, an option of one of two that we will serve. The sin nature unto death or obedience unto righteousness. There, there's not a third option. You choose the right option there, you're going to suffer for serving obedience unto righteousness. First of all, let me make it clear, it's your flesh that's going to suffer because if you choose to, to serve obedience unto righteousness, how do I do that? How'd you get saved? That's the first time you that's the first time you ever served obedience 
unto righteousness is when from the heart you believed unto righteousness, which is Christ and what he did at Calvary. That's how you serve obedience unto righteousness. And if you're doing that, you can't do that unless your flesh is being denied. And that is suffering in and of itself. Your flesh is being denied. Watch now. So we see in verse 18, For Christ also has once suffered for sins. See, there, there, there's the word suffering there again. So now we get over to ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. And, and we've talked about this the last two sessions, and we're still on this because this is what we run from. We run from this, suffering. And in the, in the first verse here in chapter 4, we see that if we're avoiding the suffering for righteousness' sake, the sin nature is dominating. I want you to hear that. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm refusing the suffering that is inevitable, if my faith is right, then, 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 then my, if, I'm, if I'm refusing the suffering, it's because my faith is not right. Because if my faith is correctly placed in the death of Jesus, then my feet are in the path of righteousness, and that is a faith that speaks. And there is where the rub comes in. But it's not always through our speaking that offends. It's through our not associating with. It's through our not participating with the lives that we used to have. And we'll see that today. But I need to say this again. This first verse of chapter 4 in 1 Peter reveals in this one verse that if you're not willing to arm yourself with the mind of Christ that was the mind to suffer for righteousness' sake, then you are not serving obedience unto righteousness. The fear of men, the fear of men is the opposite from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord allows him to show you his covenant and guide you in it. The fear of man prevents you from seeing his attempt to show you his covenant. It prevents your feet from walking in his covenant. And We always go back to this, and we always have to. In Antioch, when Peter feared men, respected men that did not preach and believe what he had preached and what he believed, but he respected them and honored them and was moved toward them, he, he, he fell into dissimulation, which means he became a hypocrite. And it caused a big problem. And he, he, he was avoiding, what was he avoiding? Why did he fear men? He, because he didn't want to suffer at the hands of those who did not believe, did not preach what he preached and what he believed. He did not want to suffer. You avoid suffering for what you believe. It's because the fear of man has paralyzed you. And the fear of man, the Bible says, is a snare. It paralyzes you and prevents you from walking where you should be walking, which is in the path of righteousness without the sin nature dominating you. Let's read this first verse again. The Lord won't let me leave this verse too quickly because it's so powerful and so revealing. Because this is about suffering. 
Not self-induced suffering, but fellowship in the sufferings of our Savior. Hallelujah. Watch. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, because he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you're keeping, maintaining your faith in the death of Jesus then that means you are experiencing Christ, the life of Christ. Uh, One of the most powerful scriptures that's ever come through this ministry, we're experiencing it right now as a church, and others are as well. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, that the Holy Spirit always, you need to say that word this morning, always delivers us who are alive unto the death of Jesus. And it tells us there why. So that we can express the life of Jesus. It is not expressed ever, never a moment of the expression of the life of Christ unless we're seeing what the Holy Spirit is turning us, delivering us over to so that we can partake of His sufferings, be in the fellowship with His sufferings. And if we are suffering is inevitable. It is an overflow of his suffering and because of our faith in what he did in his flesh, his suffering for us, then we will suffer as well. This whole, this whole first letter is about that. Maintaining the faith, yes, you're going to suffer, but what's coming is greater. You can rejoice now because it's the sufferings of Christ you're partaking of. Hallelujah. Don't put men's persons above your suffering. Don't run from suffering because if you're running from suffering, if you're running from suffering, that means your faith is wrong. Your faith is wrong. You can explain to me what faith is, but you're not holding it if you're running from suffering because of the gospel, the message of the cross. Amen. You're running from suffering because the flesh is dominating. I'm going to say that again. We run from suffering when the flesh is dominating. Go back to Antioch with Peter. His flesh began to dominate him Because he feared men. He moved away from those who believed what he believed. That gave him the liberty to be there with those Gentiles. Celebrating their liberty and freedom. But when others who did not believe what he believed did not have... Listen, they did not have their faith in what he had had his faith in. It, When he saw them coming and he respected them and honored them... It moved him away from the people he'd been in fellowship with in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings because these other fellas, they they weren't fellowshipping. Sorry about that. They weren't fellowshipping in 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 the sufferings of Christ because their faith was in something else. It's very powerful teaching today. I hope you get this. If we're avoiding suffering, Due to righteousness. If we're refusing suffering, it means we're refusing to partake of the afflictions of the gospel. So let me say this today. Don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of those who preach it. 
And don't be ashamed of those who bring warning against everything that's not the gospel. Don't be ashamed because if you do, you're really, really and truly, when we do that, we're avoiding suffering. We're looking for a way out of suffering. When we milk down the gospel, when we try to come along and reword it and we exchange this word for that word, listen, it's the preaching of the cross that's an offense and brings the suffering. It's the preaching of the cross that is the offense and brings the suffering. And I said this last week, and let me say it again. If the preaching, oh, let me use the scriptures, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, tells us that the manifest, both those verses in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, write it down, look at it. Both those Bible verses tell us that Jesus and what he did on the cross was the manifestation of God's love. The preaching of the cross, the Bible says, is an offense. But the preaching of the cross is the preaching of God's love. So if we're preaching God's love without the offense of the cross, then my friend... We're, we're, we're trying, even though we may have been deceived about it and, and unaware of it, we're avoiding suffering. That's what we're doing. Trying to preach love without preaching the offense of the cross, we're trying to avoid suffering. Sometimes I think, and I believe I did this for a, a long time ago for years. I wanted the world, I wanted the world to think I wasn't that much really different from them. I'm just a Christian now, but that's, that is so far from reality. A child of God is far, far different from the world. I didn't say better, but they are better off. But the Bible tells me that when I got saved, my Bible tells me to behold to look at this truth. What truth is that? That all things have passed away. And to behold, that means to look at now, all things for me have been made new. Now, I want to walk in everything that's been made new. I want to I look away and put away everything that passed away. Don't want my feet there anymore. Amen? So look at this now. Let's, let's go on and let's, let's, let's read. I could stay here for a long, long time. And let me say it one more time before we move on. If, I, if I'm avoiding suffering, then I'm actually avoiding my partaking of the afflictions of the gospel. I'm not in fellowship in the sufferings of my Lord. And that is where our fellowship is, Philippians 3.10. Our fellowship with our Lord is in His sufferings. 1 John 1, 7 and 9 tell us that. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And what happens? The blood cleanses us. The blood is cleansing us. See, the fellowship is about what the blood is able to do. Oh, hallelujah. The fellowship we have with Christ is not just some vain imaginary fellowship through singing or through this. The fellowship we have with our Savior is as we partake by faith in what He did on the cross to suffer for us where the blood was shed. 
That is where we have communion with Him. That is where we have fellowship with Him. If that is not where we have fellowship with Him, then what we call worship is not fellowship. What we call prayer is not prayer. What we call giving, we're giving to something. Our fellowship with our Lord is in His sufferings. Get that. That's Philippians 3 and 10. Why? Because that's the only place we can behold and be being made conformable to that image we see there. Hallelujah. It's the only place. That's 2 Corinthians 3, 18. It's the only place that the Holy Spirit is delivering us unto. 2 Corinthians 4, 11. It's the only place He's delivering you unto. The place where you will suffer. But it's the place you're experiencing not just our suffering, but the partaking of Christ's sufferings. The place He delivers us to always is Christ's suffering. And if that's where our faith is, my friend, suffering is inevitable. And this whole first letter of Peter is about suffering. I don't care what else he's talking about. It come, he always brings it back to suffering. Suffering. And when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, you can't just take one verse, he says, like we do many times sitting in a church service, and try to take that verse. And, and we take the verse, we spread it out like we want to walk in it. That's not, how this, that's not how this works. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus. We need to see what it is he's trying to tell us. Even when he spoke to Peter and had Peter write down what he, Jesus, by his Spirit is saying to us today, he's trying to get us to see that suffering is inevitable if you're going to serve Christ. You're not going to serve him without suffering. Because even every moment that you serve him, if it's by faith in his death, the only way you can serve him and God recognize it and honor it and bring forth the fruit of it and reward it is if your faith is in the death of Jesus. That's it. When my faith is not there, I'm serving self. When my faith is there, I'm serving him through faith in what he did in his sufferings on the cross for me. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have worked the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, partying, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. God forbid we still remain in these things. But we have for years as a church. This, the, it's, they, the church says it's okay to party. It's okay to drink. It's okay to do these things and, and all these things. And when We do that because we don't want to suffer for righteousness sake. Think about it. If you come out from among all them you used to run with after you're born again, what's going to happen? Well, let's read and see. Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them any longer in the same excess of right, which means dissipation, and now avoid, isn't it? We don't want them speaking. I don't want them thinking any less of me because I'm, I'm saved. I don't want them thinking any less of me now because I'm living for the Lord. You know, we're not that much different. Look, we're, we're still, no, 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 my friend. We came out not only from being guilty in the eyes of God, not only from uh, realizing that, 
man, we be, we man, we ashamed of what we used to be and what we used to do, and we're not condemning anybody that we came out from. But hear me clearly: we coming out. We came out from them. I remember in 1994 when the Lord got a hold of me and turned my life around as a backslidden Christian, and He brought me out. Let me tell you today: He brought me out. You, but you, I had to come out. They they were coming up to me telling me. Uh, when they got brave enough to even talk to me after they saw, they didn't have a clue what was happening. But listen, there was, man, there was 80 people that worked in the building I worked in, and at least 20 to 30 probably did, that many did drugs, and they, and, and they bought them from me. They bought their drugs from me. And let me say, when the Lord got a hold of me and turned me around, he walked me right out of all of that. Because I was believing in the gospel. I was believing again in Christ. I wasn't just going to church. I was believing in Christ. And he began to uh, take things off of my life. He began to remove the alcohol, the, the cigarettes, the, 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 the weed, all the other things. He be, and, and he gradually did all that. And he also gradually got me out of all of that. And I'll never forget a couple of them, one of them in particular, uh, the people I used to run with, sell drugs to, they come up and said, I'll give you six months, you'll be back with us in the bars. And I, all I said was, we'll see. We'll see. But I, 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 I never went back with them because they didn't, once I seen the light of Christ and what he did for me and what he was offering me, even though I'd suffer at the, at the lips of those people and in and, and other ways as well, I saw what he did for me was far greater than what I could ever be among them and, and, and far greater than what they were in the, in the vanity of their own minds and who I thought I was in the vanity of my own mind. So I came out of all that. And they thought it was strange. They thought it was strange. How could you just up and walk away from this world of partying and all this stuff? Man, this is this is what makes us feel good and gives us, you know, I mean, this all this partying and stuff. Watch this. Verse 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same old lifestyle you used to be in, and now they're speaking evil of you. Now they think you're stupid. Now they think you, because well, they say, we believe in Jesus too, man. He, he he don't mind us having a good time. I mean, I mean you, you've heard it, hadn't you? Let's read on now. Verse 5. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For, for because for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are now dead... Watch, that they might be judged according to men and what they did when they were alive in their flesh, but now live according to God in the Spirit. Look, look. This is talking about people who, when they were alive, the gospel was preached to them, and they began to live according to God in the Spirit. They came out of all of that. I didn't say anybody reached some level of perfection but we come out of all that. We saw the foolishness and the dark death that was on that death style. The only lifestyle there is 
is in Christ. Everything else is a death style. Let's read this again. Verse 6. Because for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. That means the ones who've died now. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now here comes a warning again in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Oh, this was written 1,900 years ago, and we're being told by the Holy Spirit back then, 1,900 years ago, that the end of all things is at hand. Somebody needs to hear this today. Do you realize that you and I are living on fumes right now? I'm talking about fumes. We, we, are, we are in the, the final seconds of this age we have been in closing. God is about to pull the curtain on this, this age we have been in for 2,000 years now. It's, it's, it's a, the, I promise you, my friends, the curtain is about to be pulled. The church, is the bride of Christ, is about to be taken to the banquet, the, the, the wedding meal, the wedding dinner. I'm telling you, we are right there about to slip right in to the place with Christ. We're, he's coming for us. We're going to meet him in the air. It's scripture, and it's, a, it's about to happen again. The end of all things is at hand. You be there for sober and watch unto prayer. Watch, and above all things have fervent charity. That word fervent Let's look at it, see what it means. If we can bring it up, it means without ceasing. That's what this word means. It doesn't mean some hot, fiery anything. It Fervent means without ceasing. The effectual fervent prayer, get that. Have you not seen it that way before? The effectual fervent without ceasing prayer of a righteous man avails much. Get this now. I know some of you's taking notes on that right now. And above all things have fervent, fervent love, love without ceasing. Don't stop loving folk. Don't stop loving folk among yourselves because charity, love shall cover the multitude of sins. Love allows us to forgive and keep moving. Now, you got to be careful with love because love rejoices in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love rejoices in the truth. Love won't rejoice in iniquity. Love, we will love you. We will love you even if you don't know the truth of Calvary. We will love you even if you're lost and undone and on your way to hell right now. We will love you if you're saved and never having been filled with the Holy Spirit, never having spoken other tongues. We will love you. We will love you if you've been saved, but yet you think that all these other things are working for you, which not a one of them will. Nothing works for the Christian but faith in the sacrifice. Then the Holy Spirit, according to the new covenant law in Christ Jesus, allows him to work in and through your life. I want you to understand that. We will love you. 
But we love does not mean we allow everything. Love does not mean we allow everything. Amen. Love means that we correct when we need to. Love means that we say you cannot be in ministry yet because you're an amateur at this point. Love means we will not let men in our pulpits who do not know the way of the cross as it pertains to daily victory. You see, church meetings are for saved people. Lost people are welcome, but typically people who are in a church service should be saved. That's why they gather to worship the Lord that saved them, to praise His name, the one that saved them, to be equipped with the word of the Lord for the journey ahead of them, the Lord's will that saved them. And if the preacher doesn't know the way of the cross as it pertains to daily victory, daily living, deliverance from self, there's no need for him to be there at all. And love for the flock, it may look like we're not loving him, but we're loving him enough to, to, to let him know that there's something that you don't know yet you need to know before you can minister to the people of God because to feed the people of God, you've got to know what the meal of the day is. And it's the blood and the flesh of Jesus. If that's avoided, there's nothing on the table that is worth eating. Oh, hallelujah. And we love the people enough not to allow that to happen. It's when we begin to separate love from the offense of the cross that we get ourselves into big trouble. And I've talked about that. So let's keep going here. He says, love shall cover the multitude of sins. That means we forgive each other. We're merciful to each other. We have our words seasoned with grace toward each other, that we don't uh, just uh, treat each other any old way, but we love each other as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us. Love covers over the stuff that is sinful, and we find forgiveness and grace and mercy, and we move on, hallelujah, rejoicing in the truth. If Listen, if it's not true love if it's not rejoicing in the truth. Hallelujah. So watch this now. Verse 9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. That means without grumbling about it. Uh, use hospitality without griping about, well, I got to do this because I'm a Christian. No. Use hospitality in love because Christ has loved you. Shed his love abroad in our heart. Hallelujah. Verse 10 as every man has received the gift, the gift of love, the gift of faith, the gift of righteousness, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, we might not move past this too quickly, but we are told here to, 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 that Every man, talking about every Christian, has received the gift. Therefore, even so, minister the same based on that gift one to another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, you have to understand this. If we're going to minister to each other of the manifold grace of God, we've got to be tasting of that same death that Jesus tasted of by the grace of God. Listen, if we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalms 34, 8, then we got, listen, you got to be tasting something to see something. And to taste it, you got to be hearing what's right, believing what's right. Believing what's right, believing what is right is your tasting of that. And if you are tasting what you're hearing that's right, then your seeing is correct. And we know what that has to be, my friend. I said we know what that has to be. There's not but one thing that you and I can taste of that gives us eyes to see. And that, was, and that, that is now the same thing that gave us eyes to see in the beginning. When we were born again, we believed the gospel, the word of the truth of the gospel. We heard it. We believed it from the heart. Our eyes saw it. We were tasting of it. Let's get the order right because it is an order scripturally and spiritually. This is exactly how it worked and this is exactly how it will work now if you're in the working of it. I hope you know it because it don't just go any old way. It it don't just happen any old way. We heard the word of the truth of the gospel. We heard it. We believed it from the heart. That is tasting. And then we saw it. And then, because we saw it, we confessed it with our mouth, Romans 10 and 10. Well, that same spirit of faith works in those who keep hearing the wholeness of God's Word, the volume of the book as it is written about the one who suffered and died for us. Then we hear it in that context, all of it. We look at everything. Listen. It's simple for us to see and believe. It's simple in the scriptures to see. The Holy Spirit delivers us who are alive always unto the death of Jesus so that we can look through that and see the scriptures in the light they were written in. Therefore, our feet might be in the path of the scriptures. You see, all of God's words are in righteousness, Proverbs 8 and 8. That means they're all in his path of righteousness. That means that because we know in Romans 1, 16 and 17 that his righteousness is only revealed in the gospel, his righteousness is only revealed in the gospel and all his words are in righteousness that it's going to take the gospel for our feet to be in the footsteps of our Savior until we cross the finish line. Amen. So, there's never a time when you don't look through the gospel, through the cross, to see what God's trying to show you. Because that's the first thing he always delivers you unto. So that you can hear continually hear properly so that you can continue to see properly so that you can continue to taste properly 
Without the cross, my friend, and us looking through what happened there, we'll not see the reflection 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us we'll see in Him taking us by His Spirit from glory to glory as He conforms us into that very glorious image there that we see. Oh, this is beautiful. I hope you get it today and move away from those that are moving away or, who, or who've never come to the focus of Calvary in their Christian ministries. Look at this now. Let's read it again, verse 10. As every man, every Christian has received the gift, and that's the gift of righteousness, the gift of grace, the gift of love, the gift of that measure of faith, the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace is God at work. And if God is at work, it's because he's found a heart that's trusting in the truth. Only in the truth. All God's works are done in truth. Psalms 33 and 4. Ties right into Romans 8 and 2. All of God's works are done in truth. You know what that means? That outside of truth, he can't work. He couldn't begin that work in me until I accepted the truth of his son Jesus and what he did for me at Calvary. And if I move my object of faith from the cross of Christ, his death, to anything else, I've damned up, I've turned off the well. I want you to hear me. I've been ministering on this the last couple of Wednesday evenings. And a well which Isaiah said we with joy draw waters from the well of salvation. A well, if you, it, it, many of you may not live in the country, you may not have a, a well, but a, I do. A well is simply the tapping into an underground current, an underground river. It's called an aquifer. That a well, and listen, when I'm not trusting in the death of my Savior, I, 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 I have access at all times as a Christian, but when I'm not trusting in the death of my Savior, I'm talking about moment by moment. I'm not talking about this, well, of course I believe in the cross. I, all Christians believe in the cross. <coughs> But then we're found trusting in the government of trail. We're found trusting in the purpose driven. We're found trusting in the words we speak. We're found trusting in our money, our giving. We're found trusting in all these other things. You see, we believe in the cross, but what is it we're trusting in? See, our, our unity with Christ is in his death. Our fellowship with Christ is in his sufferings and his death. It doesn't exist outside of that. It doesn't exist outside of that. And when I'm duped, seduced, deceived, deceitfully, and moved away from the focus and the boast of that, whatever I think I'm drinking of, it's not the well that I've been given that has a tap on it into that river. Uh-uh. See, I can go out to my well, and I can turn that thing off. And if I do... Even though that well down at the bottom is still tapped into the river, it's not on. 
And the only thing that allows that well to bring water into the house is if it's opened. And the only thing that opens it moment by moment is what opened it initially. Oh, my goodness. And that water is always available. If my faith is in what made it available to begin with. You see, we don't move the object of our faith to Pentecost. We don't move the object of our faith to healing. We never move the object of our faith away from Christ crucified. But know this, in Christ crucified is the power of Pentecost. Be baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, laying hands on the sick, preaching the power of the cross all over the world. You can believe God for a spouse, a house, a new job, a better job. It don't matter. But it's all based on your faith in Christ crucified. You move the object of your faith from the cross of Christ, you've turned the, you've turned the well off. You've t- you turned it off. God didn't turn it off. The river's still running. Get that now. God's grace is God at work. It was the work of Christ who is God on Calvary's cross. What he did as a man that saved us, we're saved by grace. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 said we're taught by grace. The spirit of grace teaches us. Amen. Jesus and what he did at Calvary, he did that through the eternal spirit. Hebrews 9 and 14. And we, Paul said he labored more than all the other apostles, but by the grace of God, by the Spirit of grace. Everything we do, if it's going to be honored by God, and we're going to find the fruit of the Lord at work in our lives, and we're going to have treasure when we get home based on it, it's got to be by grace, meaning by the Spirit of God. He only works in this one place called in Christ Jesus. And for those of you who are saying, well, I'm in Christ Jesus. I get it. We are in Christ Jesus. But Peter said we could go blind. What's that mean? That means we're no longer looking at what gives us sight. Amen. That means the cross of Christ. Nothing else gave you spiritual insight. We're no longer, see, you have to be looking at the object that gave you sight to keep your sight. And when we don't, that's why we don't have fervent love, ongoing love. That's why, listen, love will wax cold and iniquity will abound. Oh, see, the only thing that prevents iniquity from abounding is the power of the cross. Amen. And that's also the only thing that prevents you from waxing cold from love because it's the only true place you can touch the love of God and it touch you is at the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I'm glad I'm in revival. Hallelujah. I'm glad I got rivers of living water flowing out of my innermost being, my heart. Hallelujah. Part of it is what I'm sharing with you this morning. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Now, I want to go down here. Let, let's, let, let's read on because I want, to, I want to close this today. Nine more minutes and I want to close this today with what we talked about in the beginning. 
the overall, the overall absolute picture and focus of the Holy Spirit in this first letter of Peter to us is suffering. Watch this now. Let's read now. Verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak. And we'll go back. We'll go back and we'll cover these scriptures. But I want us to read through and see this beautiful picture today. Verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That means the utterances of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Watch now, here it comes. Back to the focus of suffering. Back to the participation in the sufferings of Christ. Back to the partaking of the afflictions of the gospel. If you run from it, the other, ver- the other is not going to work for you. Because when you ask God to grow you, He wants to and He will open the door for you to grow. But it requires your faith being the sacrifice of Christ. And when it is, that's what you're going to want to be hearing, the word in that context. And that is what you're going to be found fighting the good fight of faith to keep your faith in. And it's going to bring about suffering. And this is why Christians move away from Calvary into the focus of other things because they're not suffering in these other... Not for righteousness' sake because there is no suffering for righteousness' sake through what we're doing. The suffering is because our faith is in what Christ did for us. Watch now. (coughs) Verse 12. Beloved... Remember what the focus is here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Watch, verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy, blessed are you, God says, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. God's being glorified. That's the way he sees it. He's being glorified when we suffer for our faith in the sacrifice. That's righteousness' sake. Because that faith in the cross is the only thing that can allow good conduct in Christ Jesus. And that's what they gripe. That's what they gripe about. Because they want us to move away from the focus of the cross so... They can we, so we can begin to glory in the same flesh. They're glorying in. Paul taught that also. Watch this now. Let's read verse 14 again. If you be reproached, now he's talking about if you're suffering, if you be reproached, that means insulted for the name of Christ. Happy, blessed are you because the spirit of glory the spirit of glory. Now, now hold it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Only as you behold 
the glory of that image you're being made conformable to, are you by the Spirit of God going from glory to glory? That means this. The Spirit of glory in God resting on you from glory to glory. That, that ain't talking about what any old preacher comes to town and says. That's talk, this is talking about as you behold that glorious image that you're being made conformable to by the Spirit of God going from glory to glory. That means you're beholding that which you beheld the first time you ever saw anything spiritually was Christ crucified. That's what you're being made conformable to. Philippians 3 and 10, that's what you got to be beholding, trusting in, boasting in, hanging on to dearly all the way to the finish line. And if you are, while you are, let me say that, while you are, you're going to be reproached for the name of Christ. Not just by the world, not just by those that you came out from, but now it's even horribly, I have to say it, it's in the church when we have to get up and get out of the religious meetings that we're in to gather with those who are refusing to boast in anything but the cross, refusing to listen to these people who are pointing to everything but the cross, who are just good storytellers, but the their stories don't climax on Calvary's hill. You got to get up and get out, hallelujah, to the Lamb. And that causes suffering. That causes suffering. I'm speaking from experience, hallelujah. So if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy, blessed are you because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. That's what's happening in the spirit when you're trusting literally, deliberately, consciously in the sacrifice of Christ and your union with Him in His death. And you're willing to accept the Holy Spirit delivering you unto the death of Jesus. You have to see that. You have to taste of that to see it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But on their part, God is evil spoken of. But on your part, he's being glorified. He's be, God can't be glorified except through, among his people except where they're trusting in the death of his son. Watch now. Let's go on. But let none of you, hear that word again, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters... Yet if any man, here it is, suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Let's keep reading. Finish this chapter. We go back and cover every bit of it. Verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now what's the context? Suffering. If you're walking in the judgment that allowed you to know your God, and the Bible says in Psalms 9, 16, or is it 16, 9, one of those, write it down, look at it, that, that God is known by the judgment he executes. We know God because of the judgment he executed on Christ at Calvary for our sins. Watch now. Time's up, but we got to finish this chapter. Let's read this again, verse 17 through 19. We'll be done. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. 
And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? That tells you what the judgment for us is. That which it's, they're not obeying the gospel, the judgment for them ain't good. We are, have, and are found obedient to the gospel. Therefore, we're experiencing the right side of that judgment of God. Verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Last verse, wherefore let them that, there it is again, suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator, as unto the one who has created and authored this, this authored, created, and finished this gift of faith that we live by, the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's been a wonderful teaching today. I pray that the Lord will have opened your eyes to the picture and the overall picture of what we should walk away with today after sitting at the feet of Jesus and seeing that this entire first letter, no matter what other little topics are touched on, Peter always comes back to the focus of our suffering as being that of true faith, partaking of the afflictions of the gospel, our fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. Many suffer that's self-induced by their flesh, but our suffering as children of God should be the suffering of righteousness. And if we're suffering because of righteousness, the glory of God is resting upon us. God is being glorified. And those who are causing the suffering, the criticisms, the persecution, well, it's not good for them. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you're with us today again. Pray for us. We believe God's doing great things. I believe greater now, I believe, than ever before in this church age as he's gathering his people back to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And there we find everything that God intended for us to find. And I'm so thankful today to be a part of this last great day's move of God. Again, don't forget about the YouTube channel, Curtis Hutchinson 316. And if the Lord stirs your heart to give to this ministry, you can do that by simply texting the word GIVE to the number 903-231-5950. If you don't want to do that, you can give at the website, thecrosswaychurch.com. I pray the Lord touch your body, your soul, and your spirit and bring an increase to every aspect of His will for you today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Hallelujah. God bless you. I'll see you Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.